You're listening to the Miscarriage Doula Podcast. I'm your host, Arden Cartret. This space is meant to be a tool for you to feel less alone and to learn more about how to get through what you've been through and what you're probably going through. We'll hear diverse stories from women and men in the online space, experts, and people just like you and me who are feeling the effects of miscarriage and loss in real time. This is the Miscarriage Doula Podcast. Hey everyone, before we get into this episode with my friend Sam about a topic pregnancy, I just wanted to tell you about a really awesome webinar that I'm hosting next Saturday. The topic is going to be how to advocate for yourself when it comes to recurrent pregnancy loss testing, what you need to get tested, why, scripts for helping you ask your doctor, some education as to what can cause miscarriage and how to look into that further. We also discuss studies and those results and there's workbook, there's handouts, there's tracking sheets for your results. It's a great webinar in my opinion. I've worked really hard on it and it's only $20 and that $20 includes the workbook, the presentation, the video, the audio, and you will be able to ask questions live if you have any. I am just really excited to share this because I think recurrent pregnancy loss is probably one of the most talked about topics in sessions with other women because they don't know that they're eligible four tests after two losses. And so we kind of dive into the two loss versus three loss thing. And I just really want you to take away a boost of confidence and some knowledge. And that's kind of the goal. So that's next Saturday, June 26, 2021 at 3 p.m. Eastern time. If you are listening to this episode long after that date, the replay is available for you to purchase at a discounted rate. So yeah, I'll put a link in the episode description. You can click on it, sign up. Again, it's only $20 and I put half of that. So $10 out of your $20 goes right back into the Miscarriage Doula Fund to give services to women for free. Now let's get to our episode. This is my conversation with Sam Keefe. Um, I've always been kind of anxious, not to the point where like I felt like it affected my life, but I was always like aware of things like kind of not really the what if of if something could happen but like what are my exit plans like what are my next steps because I know reality like bad stuff happens like so it's kind of I've always like felt that way and so I'm always like hyper aware of stuff but I'm even more so now like as a mom like I feel like my anxiety has gone from like I feel like just walking down the hallway holding him like I'm gonna trip and I like envision myself tripping and like him falling and I don't that's probably not normal I'm gonna mention it to my doctor today it's so normal (laughs) still mention it though because that's intrusive thoughts and so that's a like a that's part of um, postpartum anxiety Uh, not that I'm a doctor but I (laughs) And it's hard I have part of anxiety and have taken all of those surveys, yeah. surveys and stuff. So that is normal, even though it feels like, why would anybody feel this way about their baby? Yeah. Like, what a horrible thing to think about. Yeah. But and it's you mainly know, that for some reason, it's the falling. Like we live on a ranch, no stairs. We have stairs to our basement, but we have like a baby gate and I rarely go down there. So it's not like, like every day I'm walking up and down stairs multiple times. Like, oh my God, I'm on a trip. Like I'm on flat surface <laughs> and I right. just like walking like oh my God, I'm going to drop him or something. I don't know. It's really strange. So I never had like those type of fears before motherhood, but now I'm constantly wearing like last night with the trees. Like, I don't know. I I think it's because like I've had open heart surgery and I was born a preemie and I had the ectopic and just 
there's been so many things throughout my life that like what else could go wrong yeah I'm always waiting for like the other foot to drop like something's next and my parents and like even my husband Alex for a while was like you know things aren't always gonna happen like bad and I'm like yeah but my track record like (laughs) you can't I don't know it's just hard yeah Carrie has to remind me of that too because I'm always like I am upset about things before they happen like yeah like yesterday, Cameron was not napping. And so I was like, tonight, it's going to be a terrible night. I'm not going to get any sleep tomorrow. I have all this work to do and I'm going to be exhausted. And he's like, it, he might sleep tonight. (laughs) Like it might not be anything you have to worry about. Yeah. Did he end up sleeping? He did, (laughs) but like I made myself sick and had to take a clonopin last night because I was just so anxious of the what ifs. And I don't think I was like that before our fertility journey. Like, I don't think that I was such a I don't know always focusing on the the horrible things because like especially with your topic pregnancy and I'll put a link to your story um I'll put a link on your blog to bring some people to go there that way they can read your story that way they have like context of some things we talk about but with a topic pregnancy it's supposed to be so rare and like Mm -hmm. so uncommon but I hear about it from so many people, but whenever you hear that it's so rare and then you think, well, if something so rare happens to me, anything that's rare can happen to me. Right. Yep. And I think it's cause it's like a multiple whammy. Like my parents tell me all the time, like my mom miscarried before I was born. Um, and I actually don't know. I'll have to ask her. I don't know how far she went along. She was, um, it was far enough. I believe she said it was a boy. So it was far enough along even, and obviously we've talked about this before. It doesn't matter how far along, like it still happened. Oh, of course. But yeah. um, I th- that weighed heavy on her. And then I was, she had issues with her, um, the umbilical cord and the placenta when she was pregnant with me. So I was born four weeks early, but the placenta had died off. So I wasn't getting any nu- nutrients. So I was only three pounds. Wow. And so I spent like over a month in the NICU. And I think from the get go, and I was the first, like firstborn um, earthside child for them. So like, I think starting that for them, they've always been paranoid for me. Like I was always like the sheltered child, like, Oh, don't do this. You're going to hurt yourself. Like, even though I grew up up until, um, 12 is when I had my open heart surgery. So we actually, that came about because we had to have a physical for sports in middle school. And my family doctor was the one doing the physicals. Like they came into the school and everybody had like a 10 minute physical. And because of being premature, I had the murmur and it never quite closed. And they listened to it every year at my like pediatrician appointments. Um, But when he did that physical that year for sports, he was like, something doesn't sound right. So they sent me for an EKG and um, all that heart testing. And they're like, yeah, that really doesn't sound good. So they sent me like a week later, I was in Cleveland um, at our big children's hospital, which is, I was born in Sandusky. So it was about an hour drive for us. And it was the the nearest children's hospital. Um, And then when they did all the testing for there, they found out my little 12-year-old heart was the size of a 40-year-old man's fist. They told me I wouldn't have lived past 20 had I not had like immediate open heart surgery. So they let me finish out the school year because that was like springtime. And then I finished the last couple months of school. And then in June, the first week of June, I was having open heart surgery. So like, and they never would have really like found that they said I could have passed out, you know, I was doing sports. So I could have been, you know, at practice and just like kind of healed over. And then with my ectopic, it was the same thing. Nobody could figure out what was going on. And it wasn't until they went in and did the emergency surgery that they actually found the issue. So I guess 
that's where I kind of feel the like, yeah, bad things happen. But for me, it's been like a, it's not until like the last second that they're finding it out. It's because of other things. Like it's not, I'm not, I never had symptoms of heart issues. Like I was a tiny kid because I was premature, but I never had that like shortness of breath or being exhausted, like actually had a lot of energy. So I showed no, like none of the actual (laughs) symptoms. And then with the ectopic, it was the same thing. Like I had the bleeding. They assumed I was miscarrying, um, did the DNC just because that's the route we chose at the time. But when they did the DNC, couldn't find any tissue. So she's like, we have to give you the methotrexate just because I'm not finding anything, but it could have been a miscarriage. You know, I had already been bleeding at that point. Let me grab Corey. Um, (laughs) So they were more of using that as a caution of, of um, like just kind of making sure all the, the um, stuff was out of my uterus more so than thinking it was that topic. So, so they thought that you already miscarried basically. Yeah. Yeah. And it was frustrating for me because first when I called, um, that was, our first pregnancy. And I had started bleeding within the first couple of weeks of finding out that I was pregnant. And so, um, I had immediately called my doctor and they didn't really seem worried about it. She was like, well, this happens. Um, we'll bring in and do some blood tests. Um, don't, don't worry about it kind of thing. And I was like, okay, well, they're the experts. So I went in and my HCG level was what they considered normal, even though everybody has their own normal and obviously they have to do the repeat to make sure it was doubling um but my um progesterone was only seven i think it's seven and so they were like well it it should be at least 10 by now so we're going to put you on uh, a progesterone pill and then hopefully it raises and then schedule for an ultrasound and it wasn't until like a few weeks later and in my i know they're just like playing the numbers like but still i was like to me outside of having that blood work, there should have been more watchfulness, I guess, because then I went in and did the repeat and my numbers had doubled. So that's when they were really like, okay, you're on the progesterone and your numbers are doubling. There's no issue here. But then I continued to bleed every day and heavy bleeding. And it just, they never brought me in for an ultrasound. It was so weird. They just kept that appointment like weeks later. And so that's when my husband and I decided to do the private ultrasound earlier. Cause I was like, I'm not going to wait for this I just felt something wasn't right it just because you you hear of the like um was it like the clots that you can get and I don't know what they're mm-hmm. called and you can bleed and then that's they just sometimes they go away or they the last chronic hematomas yeah so they I kind of think they were thinking that's what was happening um but my numbers like even throughout everything just kept doubling and going up and up and to me now, looking back at that, I'm like, wasn't that a huge red flag? Like, <laughs> what's the numbers bleeding? going like higher and higher? Yeah, it's still like that's not always necessarily like a good thing. And so that's why yeah. they definitely should have had more eyes. Yeah, I guess. And with saying that, like going up and up, I had had a, the ultrasound at that point, and they hadn't seen mm-hmm. anything in my uterus. I guess I should mention that. So my HCG was over 2,000, and they weren't yeah. seeing any signs of anything in my uterus which is when they first started thinking it was the miscarriage. And so they went straight to thinking like, oh, your numbers are going up, but you've probably just miscarried and it's not here. And that's what thinks at the time, (laughs) at the time I I had no idea. Like I wasn't, 
I had heard about miscarriage from my mom and we actually have a lot of infertility um, on my mom's side. Like, so I always had this inclination in my head just from hearing their stories, like something's probably going to go wrong, but I don't know. It just, looking back at that, it's crazy to me. In the moment, I wouldn't have thought about it. So that's, I think that's why I try so hard to talk about it now, because even though it is rare, it's happening. I've met a lot of women through Instagram, especially that the stories are similar, but they're also so different. Like for something that you'd think would be just like a miscarriage, how everybody experiences different. You'd think having a baby outside of your uterus, you kind of have the same symptoms, but everybody I've met women that had absolutely no symptoms at all. And then they're, you know, they went to go get the ultrasound and right away their doctor realized something wasn't right. And they found it on the ultrasound. Um, I found women that have only known because, you know, they passed out and had, were having severe pelvic pain thinking they were having appendicitis, you know, and then they right. get to the hospital and it's because they're bleeding internally. And then mine where it's like missed completely for weeks and months. So it's just crazy. How did that experience with your doctors? Because I'm assuming that, you know, after they found it, it was a topic. It's like, well, you told me that I'd miscarried. What do you mean? There's still a baby and it's just in the wrong place. How did that play a part in your trust in Um, your care moving forward? I left that doctor immediately. Like she, she was a great doctor in terms of like personality and like listening to me, but in not in that regards, I guess, like I have been, I'd seen her for 10 years prior. So any other concern, like I had wanted to stop birth control years before that, before we started trying, cause I had been on that since I was young and, um, just any questions I felt like I had about my body up until that point, she was very open and, um, listened and things like that. But up until that, like when that hit, we left her immediately. And I almost actually filed like a lawsuit, but my husband was like, don't do that. Like it's, she didn't purposely miss your ectopic, but I was so traumatized by it. And I was like, I don't want this to happen to somebody else. Um, but my husband made the point cause he's in the medical field of their doctors, they play the numbers. So, you know, an ectopic pregnancy is the 1% of all pregnancies, especially in ovarian, which is what I had, um, it was so hard to see that on one hand, I understand why they missed it, but on the other hand, I don't feel like they, I feel like at that point they weren't listening uh, because I had the final straw was after, I think it was like going into month two of the continuous nonstop bleeding. And I started getting severe pelvic pain and I've always had like bowel issues, like where I can go a few days, but this was the point where it was like, I would go a week or two and I was getting insane pain. And when I would go, it was pencil thin stool, which is not normal. And so I had called and they're like, well, you're probably constipated. Just take take a laxative and um, let us know if it gets worse. And I was like, what the heck? So we bought the um, magnesium that is supposed to like clear you out for like colonoscopies. (laughs) And I took that and I was still, it didn't do a thing. It didn't touch anything. And so I was like, something was really wrong. Well, come to find out when they went and did the laparoscopy, my ovary was so swollen. Um, it sounds like he might be going number two. I know. It was so swollen that it was pushing up against my bowels. So it was blocking everything from coming out. So it's just like, I didn't know that was a symptom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. 
I was just looking at pictures of Cameron whenever he was like only months old. And now I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I miss him so much. I miss him spitting up on me all the time. I know. He spits up all of it. Like, it's so random. That's how um, I used to message my doctor constantly like, hey, Cameron has spit up after every single nursing session. Is that normal? And they're like, yeah, that's totally fine. I'm yeah. like, are you sure? Seems like something I should be concerned about. I know. One thing I'm glad with the breastfeeding, though. I mean, I was sad to stop that, but what he was spitting up was just chunks. Like, this is like spit up and it can be chunky just because of the formula. But I was like, whatever's going on is not right. <laughs> Do you think it was like a dairy thing or like? I don't know. I don't know. I think it was because I kept getting clogged ducts. And so, like, when all that was every time it would, I was constantly like doing the Epsom salt. And so I think it, when it was clearing, it was just, he was getting all of it. And I had such a fast letdown that I think he didn't even have time to digest it. It was just yeah. <laughs> back up. Yeah. Um, sorry to me to get off topic, but okay. he's just so cute. <laughs> but I, I think it's also nice to have him in the background because it shows people that like your life after a topic pregnancy and miscarriage is very different. And yeah. um after your topic, because I don't know if I followed you during, I don't know if you had your account during it might, it must've been after. Yeah, it was after it. And then it was, cause I just had like a personal one for friends and family and just had like mm-hmm. 20 followers. It wasn't anything. And then I, for me, I love writing. And so I noticed that I was starting to get into like a depression and I was really upset because nobody around me had experienced that. Um, and in such a like traumatic way, I felt like the only way I could get it out was writing. So I started writing and I'm so mad. I deleted that blog because when I got like past it, I was like, Oh, I'm never going to use this stuff. Uh, I did the same thing and I regret (laughs) it all the time. I deleted so many blog posts from like when I first started blogging and I bet you like as depressing as some of it was, I bet you Mm -hmm. that it could really make somebody else feel you know, better or like, I'm so mad that I deleted it. Me too. And so I, I had turned that account into like, it was still a personal account, but then I started like using the hashtags. And um, that's when I started meeting more women that were going through what I was going through. Um, and a lot of women from like overseas and like different countries, which obviously it's going to happen anywhere, yeah. but it was just so neat to connect with um Like I have one good friend that I talked to a lot in Germany that we went through it at the exact same time. And now we both have our rainbow babies. She, hers was um, born a month before court was. So it's just, it was so cool to go through that together. And then like pregnancy after loss and then birth. And then now like raising our babies. It's it's, so it's cool. And the aspect that I felt like at the time I was able to make a lot of connection. And then um, when we were having trouble getting pregnant after that because I did lose my ovary and my fallopian tube. Um, and I'm 33 now. So at the time I was 31. Yeah. I just turned 31. So my, um, OB had told me, well, keep trying. And if in a year, um, we'll look elsewhere. And that's immediately, I had already not trusted her anyway. So I was was about to say, (laughs) I was about to say okay so you lost an ovary and a tube but try for a year even though you have half of the reproductive parts Mm -hmm. needed to get pregnant 
That's what she told okay. me because I had my um, two week follow up after my laparoscopy. Crazy. And that's, I knew I was going to leave her anyway, but I wanted to do the follow up just because she, she had done the surgery. And um, when she said that, I was like, are you kidding me? Because I knew right away I wanted to go to reproductive endocrinologist. Like, yeah, I just lost half my le- my eggs and I'm already in my thirties, you know, you had a high risk, like yeah. fatal pregnancy that yeah. could happen again. And you only have one tube left. Like sometimes yep. it drives me nuts because I'm not even a doctor. And like, I hear the things that people that actually went to school to be doctors say, and I'm just like, no, that's not how you do it. <laughs> so and I knew, and then we did a couple IUIs and we did a few medicated cycles. First we used, um, Clomid and, oh God. I just blanked. Letrozole. Yeah, letrozole. <laughs> and um, none of those worked. And then we did two IUIs and none of those worked. So we ended up taking a break around Christmas that year just because I was like, I, I need to focus on something else, um, which is when I recreated the account that I have now because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, plants and home decor and things that have nothing to do with babies. <laughs> You were so. like, I remember you deleted that account and you were like, I just want to share my home stuff. I don't want to, like, I don't want to be focused around <laughs> fertility anymore. And it's like, come follow me to see my plants. And like, I'm not into plants, but you post really pretty pictures of like plants and stuff to where your aesthetic is something that I followed. So I also wanted to keep up with you. And so I'm glad that I followed because it turned into some more fertility stuff. Yeah. And I was, it's, I'm glad that like, a lot of people followed me from like the fertility, like infertility community and loss community, which I was surprised by, but I'm so thankful for because right. now I still have those connections. And it's funny because I'm transitioning back. Like I've archived a lot of the home decor stuff now. Oh, has he? Like I'm, I'm like out of that realm and I should have kept it so you can kind of go back, but I don't know. See, you're <laughs> going to regret doing that just like you did the blog, I but, but I, I didn't I archived a lot of my posts, <laughs> my old Luckily posts. you can get them back. So you can mm-hmm. like, if I want to show up, I can put them back. But I was, I started it then kind of focusing on like pregnancy with Corey. So I started there and kind of worked my way back into the blogging and stuff, but it's yeah, hard. Well, I think blog. it is really hard to blog <laughs> and that's why um, I used to push stuff out all the time. And I just don't feel like I do that anymore. Um, it's just so hard to like finish a blog post because I'm, yeah. there's so much, especially in motherhood. Like I tried to share motherhood after loss so openly and I found it to be really difficult because I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel like more afraid of being judged or like if somebody were to come at me with advice that doesn't seem helpful it would make me feel like I'm doing something wrong when I already feel like I did something wrong in my first two pregnancies that's why I lost them or like I don't know if that really correlates for you but I feel way more protective and sensitive yeah I understand that completely and people have opinions and some people don't mean for it (laughs) and I even notice I do it like somebody will mention somebody I'm like oh try this and I'm like oh right away I'm like I'm sorry I didn't mean to say that like because I hate when people do that for me well I can tell you as somebody who like you message and you do give me advice like it's always helpful and it's not it's never like a you're doing this wrong try this instead (laughs) like you you should see some of the things that people like whenever I shared that Cameron was on cow's milk yeah oh my god people are like he doesn't need (laughs) cow's milk (laughs) it's like I never said he needed it He's just drinking it. (laughs) He wants to drink it. Why not? I know. So it's like things like that. Yeah. So you're, I totally get that. Like, I want to share this, but I'm scared of the reaction that's or the 
unwanted opinions. And like, even like the last post I did that was about self-care, I was so excited and I wrote it. <laughs> and then I've like been thinking about it and I'm like, I'm starting to get mad because my version for the first two months of his life of self-care was a shower. Like I felt like every day I had to take a shower. I was going to lose my shit. Like <laughs> I just, I hated being covered in spit up. Like mm-hmm. I'm not a jeans person. Like I could walk around in sweatpants and a t-shirt like all the time, but it, for some reason after he was born, I was like, I need my jeans. Like I need <laughs> to put on a nice top. I like, feel like a human. But now that I think back on it, and I just even wrote that last week, but I'm like, taking a shower is not self-care. Like it's a basic human need. So that's, <laughs> a, that's something I think about too, because I see that on like, uh, like some therapy accounts and stuff that I follow. It's like going to the yeah. grocery store, taking a shower yeah. isn't self-care, but I kind of view those things as self-care. <laughs> and so like, I do think of taking a shower as self-care, but self-care. I understand it from both ways because like taking a shower within itself sure a basic human need right but taking like a long shower and just like I don't know (laughs) yeah or like taking a bath and just making an experience of it or taking your time to put on like lotion and stuff like that that is self-care I mean it makes you feel good it's considered self-care but I also am really bad at taking time for myself because if I do take time for myself the whole time I'm thinking like what's Cameron doing I want to go be with Cameron (laughs) I know I'm going, I have my doctor's appointment today and Alex was like, well, I'm going to, I'll hang out with Corey and we'll just do dude stuff today. I was like, okay. And he's like, go shopping, go do something. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go get coffee. And then I know as soon as I like do that, I'm going to be like, I want to come home. Yeah. That's <laughs> literally like how I am. And, but then um, Carrie plays golf and that's like his thing. So he's gone for like six hours at a time. And I'm like, do you ever feel guilty while you're gone during the six hours? He's like, what would I feel guilty about? I'm like, you just took six hours for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know what that's like. <laughs> what would I do with six hours? I would probably work. <laughs> Still is it time for myself? Probably. Yeah. That's and where I, I do, find it hard with the blogging too. So then like, I'll say one thing and I'm like a week later, I'm like, oh, I contradict myself. Like now I want to write this. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm trying to find that niche of just saying what I feel when I feel and not caring about it after the fact. <laughs> It's really hard. I feel like I did that before motherhood. Um, But I also think that that's because like fertility journeys are specific traumas that only you could talk about your specific trauma, right? And like motherhood, so many people go through motherhood. So everybody has a different way of doing things. Yeah. Um, But I do think that it, it made me way more sensitive. And I, I do think that it played a part in like the weight to get pregnant and to have Cameron plays a part in why I feel guilty why I can't have time to myself because I'm like I waited for this for so long even on the hard days I'm like I can't feel this way because I wanted this for so long and I'm so lucky to have it yeah. so it's it's kind of a mind game it is for sure because I even get like the especially with the whining and the crying which thankfully he just does like basically when he's overtired or hungry like it's not thank god he doesn't have like colic I know so some mothers have to deal with that but like just the whining and screaming makes me cringe and almost make wants me to rage and so I and then I get to that point where I'm like I feel this like I need to be thankful because he's here and I'm his mother but at the same time like I need to get this out like I need to just walk away and scream into a pillow for a minute and then yeah I come back but it's that like weird balance of trying not to like oh everything's rainbows and butterflies because he's here you know it's it's difficult still 
So, well, and I'll um I'll put these Instagram accounts in the show notes, but I'll also send them to you because there's some really good ones that like tell it that teach about like mommy rage and postpartum rage and stuff. And it sounds really bad, but like women all feel that overwhelming. It's also a mix of hormones that make you feel overwhelmed at that moment because we're like genetically made to respond to their sounds, like crying, laughing, screaming, whining, you know? So like we are genetically made to respond to that. And whenever they're doing it louder and louder and louder, like it's like overdrive whenever we already have 500 things on the mental load that we're thinking about. And so it's totally normal. It makes so much sense. Yeah. Cause especially my husband's a firefighter. And so he works 24 hour shifts for his full-time job. And then he also has a part-time fire job. So like the last two days he's worked. So he worked a 48 hours. So he'll be home this morning, but it's just like most people, they're like partners gone for the day for work and then they come back where they get to go to work and then come back where it's like, I feel right. like I have like two days worth of just like me and him. And by the end of the second day, I'm like wanting to pull my hair out, <laughs> but yeah. also like, so thankful I get to spend so much time with him. So I think you can be both goal. at the same time. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense. Well, Sam, thanks for having this conversation with me and for sharing. And, um, I'm sure you're welcome back anytime because it's so easy to talk to you to where I could talk to you about totally all other different topics too. Um, I like I went off tangent of the topic, but my blog has all that. But <laughs> <I, yeah. laughs> and I'll link I'll link to the blog post of your atopic pregnancy story. That way, it adds context. But I do like that we covered things that weren't in the blog post. Um, you know, especially talking about the doctor and how that played into moving forward and. All of yeah. that stuff too. I my biggest takeaway with that is to advocate for yourself. Like I think deep down I knew something wasn't right. And I kind of for a while just let it like, well, there's they're the professional, they're supposed to know best. But ultimately at the end, I was like, something is not right. I need to take care of. And then moving forward, that's how I view my doctors now. Like if I go in and I feel any any bit of uncomfortableness, I immediately know like I'm paying them. Like I can switch at any time. So my exactly. advice to any women you know, going through loss or just trying to conceive again after loss or just trying to conceive normally is trust your gut. So if you think something's not right.